What's up everyone, back for episode 15. I know we took a little bit of a hiatus. I had a little bit of a power failure in Dallas, Texas. I was with, actually I was without water uh, until yesterday, which is a little crazy. Insane. Um, so we didn't get to film, we're back. We wanted to do a, a, few, a few episodes. We have a guest next week that we won't tell you about. Um, but yeah, Blake and I are back. What's up, man? How you been? i am been good. I'm excited to be back. I, it, it's been a minute. It's probably been, I think we uploaded you know, last week, so it's probably been. I, a know, total people, of a month though since that like that one was actually recorded probably a month ago so uh, i know people take me on twitter every single day asking when we're uploading so here it is uh trust me guys we want to upload like every week uh the beginning of this year was tough but we're going to get on a cadence we're going to get weekly episodes we're going to talk about things that are prominent in the industry like clubhouse and spotify so more episodes coming at you soon yeah, we're 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 really excited, and yeah, I'm I'm just excited to be back. I think you know for this episode, I, I thought it was you know I was thinking about it the other day, and I was basically like, I wonder if there's people that are watching this who who maybe want to learn more about like you and I, <laughs> and I was like. I know people know Reed as this person who manages Mr. Beast and Preston and Typical Gamer and these really big names, and you know started his own management company, but. I thought, like, why don't we actually just talk about, like, who you are and your background and how you ended up in this world? Because I'm sure you've done other podcasts at this point or you've done other interviews. But, like, the fact that it's not on our own channel or we haven't discussed it, I think is, is worth diving into. Yeah, it's probably something, you know, and we need to do yours next. And, you know, it's probably something we want to live on our channel. Uh, I know that I've, I've done the podcast before about the background and where I came from. You know, maybe we can get a little bit deeper on, like, my philosophy for Night Media when I started it. Uh, but yeah, happy to jump in. Just let me know where you want to start. You want to start right at the sports agency, NFL. Oh. I, I want to start with like you know, just like you know, growing up. Did you have any dreams of being in this world, or like oh, man. What, we're going way how back. are you okay. thinking about all of this, I, like growing this, up? This world didn't even exist when I was when you and Fair. I were growing up. Like YouTube was founded in what 2005, and yep. it really didn't become prominent until 2010. Um, not yet, even if, probably like 2015, to be honest. But no, I had no idea. Uh, I played computer games. I played The Sims. I played uh, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego. I played Roller Coaster Tycoon. Like I was a computer gamer or a PC gamer, but I never in my wildest dreams imagined that I would be in like this position working in this industry. I just wanted to play football. <laughs> and I know that sounds funny, but I mean, I went in high school, like, you know, I was one of the best players in the state and I just wanted to play college football. I wanted to play in the NFL. And so a lot of my like time just went into sports and specifically football. And so when I was in high school, that was all I wanted was just a college scholarship. And then to go play at North Dakota State and get that college scholarship. That was like my path. I had never even given any thought to like what does my life look like after football uh, and I had a moment while I was you know playing in my junior year at North Dakota State where I was like man what am I gonna do with the rest of my life like I have no idea of all I've known up to this point is football and that was like that was a really scary moment for me was it was that a moment of like oh my gosh I might not make the league and like now I need to think about my life after like or what at what point did you realize like I'm probably not gonna be a professional you know football player no, I realized that like probably the end of my freshman year in college, okay. uh, guys are just built different at the NFL level. And, you know, I had the pleasure of playing with a lot of guys that play in the NFL currently today. And Billy Turner is the left tackle for the Green Bay Packers. And he was in the locker next to me. And he is a massive human being. Um, I, I, he was like six, nine, 350 pounds, like just a gosh, ginormous person. Right. And so I, I also, you know, played with Carson Wentz in college and he went on to play in the NFL. I knew that I wasn't built like that pretty early on in college. The first day I walked in as a freshman and I, I was like small town, North Dakota. It wasn't like I was coming from a huge school that played at the five, a level in high school. I was coming from a, a really small school in, in North Dakota. And I remember walking into the weight room, my first day in college and our fullback at the time, uh, Tyler Jangula, he had, he was actually benching. He was doing his three, three rep max on the bench press. And he had 435 pounds for three. And he oh made gosh. it look very, very easy. It wasn't like it was a struggle for him to get three reps. He repped them out very, very easy, racked the weight. And that's when I knew I was like, I am in a different world and I better hit the gym because I am just not built like that. And so I knew pretty early on that the NFL wasn't for me. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, that, that moment kind of came in my junior year when it was just like me contemplating what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. 
What, what did you end up studying in, in college? Uh, I was an exercise science major and I had a minor in psychology. Absolutely okay. nothing that I use today. No, I, I, I figured it wouldn't be like super relevant, but I was just curious, yeah. like, you know, if you ended up studying something that was like management or something that, that like was more broad and, and then no, you up in this world. Absolutely not. I actually wanted to be a nutritionist. Like I wanted to go into dietetics and I wanted to get oh, my wow. master's and become a nutritionist. Uh, and I, I started taking like all these classes and anatomy and uh, biometrics or biomechanics and like and I just didn't enjoy it at all yeah. right it's like and I think most college students can probably relate with that is you're forced to pick a major when you're 18 years old coming out of high school actually you kind of get one year you get one year of generals in college and then yeah. you have to declare a major at 19 years old you have no idea what the hell you want to do with the rest of your life I had no idea uh, and so I just picked exercise science because like the joke in college was like schools first, football's second, right? Like that was like the joke. And it was like, you're here to play football, go to class, don't get F. So you're academically eligible, but like, let's play ball. Uh, and I played at a very successful university, uh, but never really gave any thought to like, what do I do after school? Man. And so I like, you know, you're approaching, you know, you have that junior year epiphany and you're like, okay, what am I going to do? You know, you, you, you graduate. What happens after that? You know, like, were you just like, okay, well, I'm not going to be a nutritionist, not going to be a pro yeah. football player. Like what happened after that? And, and sort of, yeah, where'd your head go immediately after? So I had to get an internship to graduate. And so I ended up meeting this person out in Virginia who put on these college all-star games and I needed the internship and so I ended up accepting it and I flew out to Virginia to be an intern at this college all-star game uh, and I met a sports agent there and he was like one of a it wasn't like a sports agent that was representing a, a lot of NFL players he was a guy that like really tried to find the Carson Wentz's the guys that were playing at the division one AA level or maybe the division two level that he thought had the ability to play at the next level uh, and so I started talking with him about this industry and I knew it existed I mean you and I have both seen Jerry Maguire like we know what a sports agent is I think most people listening to this podcast I wanted to be like after I met him I started thinking about it a little bit and I was like, man, like I would love to be Jerry Maguire. It's like a sexy industry. I love football. Um, I want to be around the game. I enjoy helping players. And so after I met him, I ended up uh, going to graduate school in New York and he was based on in New Jersey. Uh, and so he gave me an internship while I was going to graduate school. And so for the next year and a half, that's literally all I did. Like I consumed every single book that Drew Rosenhaus, uh, Lee Steinberg, like all these guys put out, David Falk, who is Michael Jordan's agent. I've, I basically just consumed everything that I could for the next year and a half to just learn about this industry. Um, and I, I kind of set myself up for a pretty good job as a sports agent uh, after I moved out of New York City and moved to Las Vegas. Uh, and we were working with a lot of like NFL and Heisman Trophy winners and Hall of Famers. And it was it was great. And so I, I went, you know, from undergrad to graduate into the sports agency world. It was a it was a massive like it was it happened really quickly. Um, but it, it felt right. Like it felt right that I was finally leaving North Dakota for the first time in my life. Uh, going to New York City, my sister was already out there, and then trying to work as a sports agent. Man, but like, it, you make it sound so easy, right? Like, there's there's so many people that just want to be a sports agent, right? Like, they they graduate yeah. college and maybe their their entire time in college they were you know already reading all those books and they're already thinking about being a sports agent. Like, what do you think sort of set yourself apart there or like you know just helped you break into the space because yeah i know it's like you you make it sound way easier than it actually is to, to break <laughs> into be a sports agent because I, I imagine it is quite competitive yeah I, okay so when i i got a little bit lucky when i went out to new jersey or, and i met this sports agent and he gave me an internship but what i what i did understand was yes you like you said it's very difficult to get a job as a sports agent these jobs don't exist they're not posted on indeed they're not on linkedin that these these jobs don't exist it's it's a relationship game so i knew that in my head I was like, I not only need to like educate myself on this entire industry, but when I get the opportunity, when I eventually like meet one of these people that work in this industry, I need to be so sharp that they have to hire me. And so that's why I just like dedicated my life during graduate school for that year and a half to just learning the industry, studying the collective bargaining agreement. Uh, and then when 
I initially got that opportunity. And so I, I traveled out to Las Vegas. I was interviewing for different roles. Uh, I actually got, you know, job offers to different like PR firms in, in LA. And I would drive back and forth from Las Vegas to LA. And what I wanted to do is I like, I would la I laminated my resume. I don't even know if people use resumes anymore. I laminated my resume and I would sit in the lobbies at like CAA, uh, William Morris Endeavor, like Rep One Sports, Athletes oh First. Gosh. And I would like wait for these agents to walk out and I'd be sitting in the lobby and I would just like hand them my resume. That was like my, in my, in my head, I was like, I'm just gonna go approach them and try and just like start a conversation and build a relationship. So I'm from like middle of nowhere in North Dakota. Like how, how am I getting connected with these people? Yep. And so they wouldn't answer my emails. And so after a while, I was just like, screw it. I'm going to go drive from Las Vegas. I'm going to stay in LA. I'm going to do this like once every couple weeks and I'm just going to show up at their offices. Uh, I got kicked out of a lot of those lobbies. Was there anyone else there? Like, or were you the only like crazy person to do this? Like, is this a common thing? Like I, I well, that is insane. I no, I was the only one. I would always talk to the secretary. They'd ask if I had a meeting. I would say, uh, no. And then I eventually got smart enough to be like, yeah, yeah. I have, I have a meeting with Todd France today, um, at, at one o'clock and they'd be like, yeah, Todd doesn't have you on his calendar. Um, so I started like figuring out what agents worked at these places and I would just say I had a meeting on the books. Uh, oh I never got gosh. in though. Um, so I just kept getting like kicked out of lobbies and then <laughs> I eventually, uh, got an introduction uh, to someone in Las Vegas. Uh, and that's like when I got my opportunity, you know, we met for lunch. I talked about how dedicated I was to the industry, how I wanted to be an NFL agent. Uh, and he ended up giving me a shot. And so I got an internship in Las Vegas at a company called Fritz Martin management, uh, still exists to this day. They, they represent a lot of big names in the industry. And so that's, that's really how I got my shot as a sports agent. Wow. And, and then like, you know, past that right like you finally break in you know you, you think that this is like the dream job or at least you i imagine at the time you thought that was your dream yeah. job like and then you, you you then you know leave and you you start to manage a completely different world like was it just like right after your your internship and in, in that world you're like okay look I, I think there's another opportunity and i should go and chase that or you know yeah. how long did it take you to realize okay i should be going to a different space <laughs> I enjoy, I, I actually enjoyed it a lot. Um, I, I got to travel. I mean, the people that I got to work a lot with were, I mean, Barry Sanders, Marcus Allen, Tim Brown, Joe Theismann. And, and then I got to travel a little bit with like Richard Sherman and Odell Beckham Jr. Wow. I, I, it doesn't really get any bigger than that at the NFL level. Uh, and I enjoyed it. I, I think what I, what I didn't enjoy was the recruiting process. Uh, every year, obviously, the NFL draft comes around and all these agents are competing for clients and you're chasing kids around like USC and Alabama and Mississippi. And that was the thing that I didn't enjoy was the recruiting aspect of it. Uh, and it's it's a dirty game. It actually is a very dirty game of like money under the table. And I know colleges are trying to regulate it, but a lot of the agents are very good at hiding that stuff. And so I, I really wasn't a fan of like the foul play in the industry and how some of these clients were getting signed. Uh, those are stories for another time. But <laughs> uh, so I outside of that, I really enjoyed the industry. But I then, you know, started searching around on the Internet. And and let's back up to one other thing. What I what I really learned at that job was how to cold call. And this is like a lost art, I think. And actually, you don't really cold call anymore because nobody has phones. Um, but my cold job was basically now. cold yeah, cold email, which is a little different because um, anyone can kind of just copy and paste. It's a lot yeah. more difficult to be like, okay, let, let me call this brand. Let me try and just have a conversation with this person or a conversation with this person out of thin air. And so I would do that every single day. Like we would just ring the phone. And I would just call people to try and have conversations about our clients. Uh, that was like, I think the most, that was probably the thing I got the most experience on was just like how to generate relationships out of nowhere. Like just off of, hey, how are you? My name is Reed. And then just trying to generate that relationship and conversation. Wow. That's, uh, yeah. I mean, cold calls are brutal. I did cold calls oh, yeah. for a little bit at, at Google and Oh my gosh. I, I, I remember just always being like, this is so frightening and like yeah. praying that they didn't answer because like, <laughs> it was like weirdly, like you, you had to do a certain number and I was like, oh, please don't answer like this. I, I don't want to deal with this conversation, but yeah. uh, you know, so you do the cold calls, you do all of that. You start to really, you know, I, I imagine at some point here you you start to realize like, okay, social media is becoming more and more important. Uh, 
like at what point did you even mm. discover the world of youtube you know or like discover this other side of this industry or you know yeah. lean into the gaming side of all this yeah twitter came first it was when nfl players were trying to lean into twitter and i had twitter in college but our coaches regulated it and really didn't let us go on it uh and then it, it really started i really started paying attention to it then um, when, when some of our clients were using Twitter and then I stumbled upon this group and the group's name was dude perfect. And this was man early, it was like mid 2014, I want to say, uh, and dude perfect probably had like two to 3 million subscribers at the time, which then was huge today. Yeah. That seems incredibly small. If you're like, Oh, 2 million subs, that's nothing. Um, but at the time in like 2014, that was a massive channel. And so I started watching their stuff and they had just, I think they had just done a collaboration with an athlete. I can't remember who it was. Um, but in my head, I was like, I need to get Barry Sanders or one of our clients in these videos. This is great exposure. Like this video got a million views. Uh, and so that's where my head went. And so I ended up sending them a cold email and just telling them who I was. Like, I think you guys should talk to this client that we have. Cause I think they would do really well in a trick shot video. They responded in 10 minutes uh, with a phone number, got on the phone with them, just kind of, again, tried to develop a relationship out of thin air. Um, and that's kind of how that conversation ended. It was basically like, we'll think about it, uh, but not, not at this moment. Uh, but what I did start to do after I had that conversation was I just started to kind of just search around on YouTube and see what else was out there. And up until this point, like I never watched YouTube in college. So this was all very new to me. Uh, and there was a lot of interesting channels, but I kept coming back to this dude perfect channel because they were dominating in 2014. And so I, I ended up like having this vision of, and it, it was more along the lines of where's the attention going to be in five years, not where is it currently at? And Twitter was doing well at that current moment, but my, I went and I remember asking my little cousins, cause that was like my test. I was like, let me ask like my cousins who are like seven and 10 years old who Dude Perfect is. And I remember going home and I was like, do you watch Dude Perfect? Do you watch Dude Perfect? And to just see them freak out about Dude Perfect. And then I would be like, do you know who Richard Sherman is? Do you know who Barry Sanders is? And they'd be like, what, who? Like, I have no idea who you're talking about. And I was like, wow, this is not only where all the attention's going, they actually are commanding this young audience that doesn't really care about professional football and professional basketball. Like they're watching Dude Perfect upload videos every week. And that's where my mind went. I was like, this is where all the attention is gonna go. And I ended up leaving the agency probably a month later. Wow. That's crazy. And then like, you know, like, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. Like I, I, I imagine mm -hmm. like it dude perfect at that time. I remember when they first started blowing up and you know, this is probably when they were doing like their crazy, you know, longest basketball shot of all time type of videos. So, yeah. uh, that, that was like a real big moment for them. And, uh, I, I guess, you know, after that, you realize all that, did you immediately say like to yourself, Oh my gosh, like I'm going to go and manage some YouTubers and go into this world or what happened next? You know, like, uh, how did you like then parlay your experience from the sports world? Cause I imagine there weren't too many, you know, managers in the YouTube space at that time. And if they were like, they definitely didn't come from the sports world and like, they were probably more of like just yeah. random friends managing these people. It was all MCNs at that time. Uh, it was, uh, maker and full screen and machinima that that's who kind of all these creators gravitated towards was their MCN relationship. And then there, there were managers, but you're right. It was a lot of friends, uncles, uh, parents, that's who was managing a lot of these creators because it was still so new and there wasn't a lot of money being made outside of AdSense yet. There were some brand deals, merchandise wasn't really a thing yet. When I met dude perfect, they weren't selling t-shirts. They weren't selling hats. They didn't have anything. It was wow. just like making money off AdSense, doing some sponsorships, and that was the business. Um, and so, no, I had no idea when I left that I wanted to be a manager. I just knew that I wanted to work with them. And I was like, wow. I literally just want to like provide whatever value I can to these to these uh, to these guys because I think that what they're doing is is not only sustainable over the next decade, but I think they're going to be at a position where they can potentially be the biggest creator on the platform. And at that time, I can't remember who was number one. It was probably PewDiePie, yeah, probably but PewDiePie. he probably only had like 20 to 30 million subscribers, if that, um, yep. since it was still so new. Um, so yeah, I just, I just started working for them. I packed my car up from Las Vegas. I drove to Dallas. I called my parents and told them what was going on. And they thought I was absolutely crazy. 
uh, to give up my job as a, as a sports agent of what I wanted to do for the, the last three years and to just give that up off a whim and go work with this YouTube group. And my parents didn't even know what YouTube was. <laughs> and yep. so it was, it was a hard conversation to have. Uh, cause I didn't have any money at that time. You know, they were supporting me thankfully. Yep. Uh, and yep. so I, I drove to Dallas, I started working with the dudes and that's how it started. And then from that relationship, I stumbled upon Justin TV and I just kept doing, going down this rabbit hole of meeting other creators and then finding out that there's a much bigger ecosystem on the internet than I thought there was. Uh, and I just jumped in head first. Wow. It, when you were working with Dude Perfect, what, what was like your official role or like what, what was your day to day like with them? Yeah, it was all brand deals. That's all I did. I was like okay. uh, calling like uh, the Shiat Days and the Fleshman Hillers, like these big agencies. And I was trying to help them understand why they should be allocating budget towards this YouTube channel, not to spend ads on pre-rolls and mid-rolls, but to like organically sponsor a video, which at that time was like, what are you talking about? Why would we pay this creator uh, to sponsor a video when we can like buy a mid-roll or an, a pre-roll ad on their channel? Uh, and so that's what I did. I just sold sponsorships and we ended up uh, inking a massive deal with Callaway Golf. Uh, my, hmm. my one vision for them when I first started was I was like, they're killing basketball and football and they've kind of looked at soccer a little bit, but I thought they were missing a, a category that was golf because golf was predominantly very old, like it's a boomer sport. And I thought there was a really cool opportunity for them to go to some of these unique brands that are, you know, they skew very old in terms of who are, are buying those products and appeal to a much younger demographic of who's probably going to go like start playing golf in high school or college. Uh, and so Callaway Golf uh, jumped on board. I remember talking to their CMO about the deal and his I think it was his son or his daughter knew who Dude Perfect was. And like, that's how that deal got done. Wow. His kids were like ex more excited than he was. And he's like, if my kids know who they are, then this is the right move for us. And then luckily they had an agency at the time too, who like totally understood. Wow. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I, I, by the way, golf still is like a huge wide open opportunity on, on YouTube. Like even to this oh, day, I agree. <laughs> like it, it's still so largely unexplored and, and yes, we've seen dude. Perfect actually has some awesome golf videos, but it is still there. There's a big opportunity there. So that, I mean, that's amazing. So, you know, you do the dude, perfect stuff. You, you work with them, you go down the Justin TV rabbit hole. At what point do you actually decide like, okay, I'm going to parlay like my agent side of this and, and try and be a manager or an agent or whatever it, like that means, you know, yeah. in this world, like at what point were you like, okay, I'm going to try and be a manager. Yeah, I started meeting other creators and what I soon found out is that there wasn't really a manager in this space, not someone that was like helping the larger creators. Like I said, there's, you know, uncles and friends and things like that. Uh, but it was it was somewhat wide open outside of the MCNs. And at that time, the MCNs still thought they were the managers. They were very out of touch. Uh, and where they were on the pecking order to that creator. <laughs> Most creators saw them as an MCN and the MCN saw them as their like manager of that creator, uh, which soon changed. So I met um, a few different creators in the gaming space that were on Justin TV and then they were transitioning to this new thing called YouTube gaming. And this was like in 2015. I think that's when Fwiz left Machinima to go work at YouTube. Yeah, and so in, 2000, summer, right? in 2015, uh, one of those guys' names was Typical Gamer. Uh, still to this day, Andre dominates one of the biggest live streamers on the entire platform. Uh, but at that time, I think he had like 400,000 subscribers. He was just like live streaming on YouTube because he wanted to transition off of Twitch. Uh, and he was like our first client that we started representing. I say R, but it was just me at the time. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, did you, did you have other people at that time? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It was just me in my bedroom until it was just me in my bedroom until like late 2017. Um, that's when I, I heard my first play, but yeah, it was like typical gamer was making that transition and he was our first client and that's really how it started in late 2015 was just, you know, I saw a different vision of wanting to build a company around multiple creators. Uh, and he was one of the first ones. And then we really kind of established ourselves in the gaming space pretty early on, uh, because fast forward a year early 2017, I met Preston. Um, if you guys don't know, Preston's like one of the biggest creators on the platform now. He has, I think, 16 million subs on his main channel, which was a Minecraft channel when I met him with 2 million subscribers. Uh, he's now completely pivoted uh, to different platforms depending on what games he plays and lifestyle content. Um, but he was uh, someone that I met in 2017, and that's when Night Media really started to take off. Hmm. 
Wow. I, I mean, crazy. And it, I mean, like, I guess for you, it's amazing because you just jumped into like, you know, you did your agents, uh, your sport agent side of this. And then, you know, you spent some time doing the brand deal stuff at, uh, you know, dude, perfect. And then you're like, I'm jumping in. I'm like, I'm ready to be the manager here. I'm ready to, to, to work with my clients. And like, I, it, I, the managers that I talk to and that I respect the most, I guess, like within this whole space are the ones that sort of like rise with their, uh, their talent. You know, like they, they were there sort of on the ground floor, uh, like Chris Rue and Logic and, oh, and yeah. that's side of like that story is just amazing how they were both sort of like at rock bottom and, and grinding up together i think it's you know it sounds very similar where you know Preston probably was already pretty big at that point but you know mm-hmm. andre and, and typical gamer you know this piece of like you're both still you know very young and and early into this world and uh obviously it worked out incredibly well for for both of you and, and you know all of your clients so far yeah i mean all like e- Andre Preston, like unspeakable. A lot of the people that we started, I started working with in 2016, 2017 are now like at the top of their game in 2021. I mean, yeah. Preston and unspeakable are like two of the biggest creators on the platform. I know we haven't got to Mr. Beast yet, um, yep. but as you like go down our client roster, we ended up signing a lot of these, or I did in 2017, signing a lot of these people pretty early on before they really had hit that like crazy growth trajectory. And Preston to that point is 2017. He had a few million, a few million subscribers. He was all Minecraft. He had another channel called TBNR Frags, which was like his like OG Call of Duty. He had been making videos since he was 14 years old. I met him when he was 22. So he was already, you know, seven, eight years into this industry and he had just had his blow up. But what, what people don't really understand is like, it doesn't really happen overnight. Uh, even like certain situations like Dream and Corpse, like they've been doing this for a while. Yeah. Uh, maybe not Dream, but Dream's been in this space for he's a long time. He's been studying for a long yeah. time. And like he, ran he, he was a Minecraft server. Like he, he's, yeah, he's, he's very intelligent. He knows he's been around the space. Like people just don't blow up overnight. And Preston and Mr. Beast and Unspeakable, like you can go back and look at their videos in 2015, 2016. They're really bad. But one thing you will notice is like year by year, their videos get progressively way better, right? Yep. And they they all just have kind of grown into themselves and it's been a lot of fun because I've done the same thing. Like I was, you know, in 2016, 2015, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I was yep. trying to learn with them. Andre yep. and I were like doing brand deals and we were like trying to learn together. Like, hey, what's this word in the contract mean? Like, <laughs> I have no idea. Do you know? I have no idea. Like, it was just like a fun time because like we were both so, like oblivious to like some of the things that were going to happen. Um, but we were just enjoying the time. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's amazing. I, you know, I think we've talked about it at this point on the podcast around like, you're really unique in that, like the talent that you work with, you're, you're not just thinking about like the short term, you know, side of it of like, let's just focus solely on brand deals. You're like thinking about how do we turn this into like an actual business and run it like a business. Do you think even back then you were you were viewing the clients that you were signing in that way, or do you think in some ways like Preston and Typical or Unspeakable helped push you towards that over time? Because you're like, wow, okay, they're they are here to stay, and maybe yeah. it's not the same dynamic as like a Richard Sherman or someone who's going to retire in in three or four years or five years. Yeah, the the philosophy pretty early on is like, let's sign people I enjoy being around because I, I was spending so much time with those guys and still do today that it was like, I need to at least enjoy them, like life's too short. And so that that was like first how I would sign people. And then this, I, I had this moment. So I met Preston in 2017. And at that time, like I had played Minecraft, but I that's all I'd known was like vanilla Minecraft, right? And he, he really opened my eyes to like this whole, and if you guys haven't seen the video, we just did a video on this, but he opened my eyes to this whole ecosystem of servers and monetizing servers and selling maps and all this stuff, right? And he used his YouTube brand to really grow that. And he wasn't the first one, Optic Craft, like Hector used to have a server. Like all, I started learning about this, like all these people that used to have servers. And that's when it kind of hit me that like, is this, is this server business just the beginning of these influential creators growing bigger, sustainable companies? And that's when I, it, this was like mid 2017, late 2017. And that's when it kind of hit me. I was like, the last 50 years, like we've been really loyal to companies. Like when I was growing up, 
you know, I was really loyal to Nike. I was really loyal to like General Mills. And I started thinking about this and I was like, people are now loyal to Preston. Like they will play on his Minecraft server over just playing like on somebody else's Minecraft server because they, they're loyal to him because they're his fans, right? And that was like the first moment I think I really realized that, you know, eventually like individual creators are gonna be in the driver's seat to build sustainable companies. Not only because of brand loyalty, because they understand what their fans want, uh, they're genuine, they're authentic. And so that was really like the first moment I was like, I not only think Preston's onto something here with this Minecraft server, I think the next like five to 10 years in this creator business are going to explode once creators realize the power that they have. Yeah, no, and, and, and I remember you telling me you know, back in the day, I think we probably met in 2019 or something like that, early 2019. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember you telling me about Preston's server stuff. And I was just like, what? <laughs> that is, you know, brilliant. Like, that's such an interesting example uh, of this world. And and I guess, like, you know, we can we can talk about, you know, the bigger sort of, you know, breakout, which was then, like, when, when you found uh, Jimmy or Mr. Beast, like, what was that like? How, how did you find Mr. Beast? At what point did you sign him? Uh, you know, what's yeah. the story there? Because yeah. I, I think, you know, that was probably, you know, now it's looking back, you're like, oh my gosh, that was a really big moment for you. But like, how did you find Mr. Beast? Yeah, I, I didn't find him at all. Uh, I actually, and this is how I met Preston. This is how I met Andre. Everyone's been through a mutual introduction. Right. So it's the same thing with Jimmy. You know, I had a friend, Jobless Garrett, who's actually doing incredibly well on Twitch and YouTube, uh, plays like Grand Theft Auto and different games. But this was in uh, January of 2018. He like sent me a Twitter DM and he's like, yo, I have this creator that I think you should meet. You know, I just had a conversation with him a few days ago. He's small. I remember him saying this. He's small. Jimmy had like 1.8 million subs, but that was like small. Um, but he's like, I think he has massive potential to be one of the biggest creators on the platform. And at that time I was like, okay, hold on, Math like biggest creator on the platform, like let's calm down here. And then I started checking out his channel and I watched him, you know, watch, watch It's Every Day Bro for 12 hours or 24 hours and count to a hundred thousand. And I, I think the one thing that stood out to me was like, he actually loved, like I could tell he loved it, right? I could tell he loved making videos. He was doing it for a long time. Uh, but I still hadn't met him. So Jabba Scare was like, hey, I'll, I'll just put you in a Twitter DM. And that's how we met. Jimmy and I actually had a weird moment <laughs> about four months ago where we like went back to the first DM. We were like scrolling back and we we're like, man, remember that? Like early 2018, like what a simpler time. Uh, <laughs> and so that's like when, how I met Jimpy was on Twitter. Uh, we got on the phone a couple days later, kind of spoke to me about, you know, his business at the time was like him, Chris and an editor who was a good wow. friend of his, uh, it was really small and his mom was, was helping a lot and she still does to this day, you know, with, with, with everything. And so it was, it was an interesting conversation I had with him because he had this vision of where he wanted to be at the end of the year. And he kept telling me, he's like, I'm going to blow up this year. I'm going to hit, I'm going to be at 10 million subs by the end of 2018. And I just kept going like, yeah, yeah, sure, man, sure. And he's like, no, I'm gonna blow up. Like, I understand how YouTube works. He's like, I've been studying it for the past year. He's like, I'm not gonna say I cracked the code, but I figure out like, I've figured out why videos get suggested. And again, I thought he was crazy, but I was like, listen, I'm willing to help. You seem like a good dude. Like, let's get to know each other a little bit better over the next few months. I met his mother. We all kind of got along and that's how the relationship started. We ended up working with Honey. He had a quid uh sponsorship yep. deal at the yeah. time uh so he was he was promoting quid for some of his videos we ended up doing a honey deal not long after that uh and that's that's how it all began wow and so that was 2018 you know yeah it's been a crazy rise <laughs> you know over the past three years and and uh in some ways it still feels like he's he's just beginning like you, you've you've obviously built out so many different things with him and, and i mean he just continues to grow how do you even like balance working with jimmy and preston like it sounds like you you work with so many clients like how do you even balance that piece yeah and, and just a, another point too i said he was going to hit he said he was going to hit 10 million subs at the end of the year he ended up finishing the year 13.6 million in 2018 oh my gosh um so he did it uh and yeah it's it's been a wild ride you know i night media has obviously grown a lot since 2018 you know we have a lot of different managers within the company we manage a lot of different clients i don't manage a lot of people uh, at all um, a lot of my time is spent on like the four people that i personally manage uh, internally uh, and jimmy 
has been on a rocket ship for the past two and a half years. And as he's grown, we've grown as a company, you know, the, the philosophy of like creators becoming the new brands like that, that really was like something that I thought about in 2018. And you're now seeing it with where Jimmy is and where some of our creators are and some of the things that they're launching. And I think Mr. Beast Burger, and I'm sure we'll get into that, but I'm the Mr. Beast Burger is like a good test of like what we think we can do over the next few years. And Mr. Beast Burger is one of many. Uh, we have a lot of different areas like you know that we're probably going to push into. Um, but yeah, in 2018, like I had never envisioned his blow up like this. And to be honest, like it, it feels like it was like six months ago. That's how quickly this stuff happens. Like when yep. I when I really think about how quickly he went from 2 million to 13 million to 37 million to 50 million, it happens so quick. And I know it's been what three years it's been three years since we met it just doesn't feel like that at all yeah i think when i met you jimmy was probably at yeah probably around that 13 to 15 million mark mm -hmm. uh and i remember just being like he's he's gonna be big like in like you know it sounds weird to say he's gonna be big from there but like i i remember having like if you followed him or you got to know him at that point like you you had conviction that he was going to become massive and like he yeah. was massive by you know most standards at that point but like i think you and i both agree that he will be the biggest creator on, on youtube like that that's like no question at this point like it, it, yeah. there's nothing that can stop him uh other than himself at this point you know like yeah. he, the, the rocket is, is is off and and he's clearly going to another level Jimmy is really unique because he really embodies what, what we were talking about before, where uh, you've built businesses around these creators. You obviously built, you know, Mr. Uh, Mr. Beastberger and that world. But like, how do you how do you and Jimmy and your team even think about like what projects you work on? And like, <laughs> yeah. how, how do you like because there's so much so many different pieces for you at this point. Like you have to manage brand deals. You have to also think about him managing his entire team and his production staff. Like. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like every time I talk to you, I'm like, I don't even know how you have time to, to do this like podcast. Like it's insane. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Jimmy's, I think called me twice as we have done this podcast, but Amazing. I never, I never thought I would be in the restaurant business. That's for sure. Um, I, if you had said this a year ago, like, do you guys ever think you're going to launch a restaurant? I'd be like, why would we ever do that? Um, so I, and I, I don't do a lot of the brand deal stuff anymore. That stopped about a year and a half ago. Like we have people internally that handle that. My, my job now is like as CEO is really transitioned from, um, managing, doing brand deals, like day-to-day -day task. It's really transitioned to like vision, strategy, business development, culture. Those are like my, my focuses as CEO. Thankfully, I have a really amazing executive team, you know, with Ezra, who's Ezra Cooperstein, you know, he was uh, very prominent, like the foundation of Maker and the MCN and then co-founded Fullscreen and went on to work at Rooster Teeth as one of their executives. And so he's been great. We have we have other executive members who are great. My my days are very hectic, um, but they're great. Like I can go from talking uh, with someone about how we're developing NFTs to then working on a new menu item for Mr. Beast Burger to then jumping in uh, a production meeting for a show that we're doing with a streaming service. Like uh, my days go in so many different directions. And I think that's why I love it so much. Um, and I probably don't think about it as, as, as much as I should, like when I, when I get home, cause it's just, everything is constantly moving. It just, it doesn't even matter the day of the week. Cause like all our creators film on Saturday and Sunday, like YouTube doesn't sleep. Yeah. Um, and then that's probably why it, I feel like I met Jimmy six months ago because everything is there's stuff constantly happening. I think what, what we really focus on internally at night media, uh, now is, as we think about like, okay, with, with our creators, it's do we partner or do we build, right? That becomes the biggest question. And I know you and I talk about this a lot with all different <laughs> yeah. kinds of categories. It's like someone approaches us, we're like very interesting concept um, or like Honey or whoever, we're like, do we partner with a company or do we build a company? And that's like the hardest question that I've ever had to answer with all these businesses. And we had the same conversation for restaurants. Do we partner with McDonald's, Burger King, Taco Bell, or do we build a restaurant? Is this is the conversation we had, and we ultimately decided to let's let's just swing the bat, let's build our own virtual restaurant service, and let's see how it goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was a world where we were just going to partner with a QSR company, a quick service restaurant company, and not build Mr. Beast Burger.
Yeah, and and I think you know that's something that I just respect you and just your entire team for is you're not always just taking the easy you know shortcut of hey let's go and get the brand deal or do the partnership because it, it is easier like you know like oh, yeah. objectively it's easier uh, for you to do that and it would be quite lucrative but I think you are one of the few managers that I've ever met that is actually open and willing to think about sort of the longer term and sustainability of, of like these creators, like, like Jimmy or, or Mr. Beast now has, you know, Mr. Beast Burger, you know, hopefully that brand stays and, and that restaurant continues for 10 years, you know, and maybe one day Jimmy stops posting and you still have this amazing like restaurant that's still flourishing. Like those things are rare and i think there's very few managers or just people in this space in general that are thinking about the long term which i just respect you guys a ton for because yeah. it's been a, it's been amazing to watch one one thing that really frustrates me is like when people are like oh what's the longevity of this creator like how long can this creator last and we don't really ask ourselves that question i think the question is like can they have a sustainable career? Are they entertaining enough? Do they command audience? Can they build a community? And if they can do those things, then they have a long-tailed career. Like Jimmy, if for example, like he's been posting videos now for nine years, maybe 10 years. He's the biggest he's ever been. I think he still has, he could have a decade left if he really yeah. wants to. But even then, like when the when he's done posting videos on YouTube, he's still Mr. Beast. He's still like one of the biggest digital creators and celebrities in the entire world. And he'll continue to do that. And he will pivot into being one of the most popular entrepreneurs of our generation. Right. Yeah. And so, and I think we have a lot of clients that we internally manage like that, that are in that same vein of like, we don't really ask the question, like, is this creator going to be around in two years? Like, that's not the type of creators we want to sign either. Um, so it's just like, it drives me nuts when people say that of like, oh yeah, this person won't be around next year because yeah. they, if you can build the right team around them, if they're entertaining, like I said, like, I, I think a lot of people really don't understand that like creators now need to be built like businesses. Like you, you actually need to build a production company. If you want to be a top tier YouTuber and it's like you and a computer and an editor, gonna be a lot it's gonna be really difficult you, yeah, you actually out. need to have a production team burnout is a real thing even if you have a team burnout is a real thing but when you yeah. can offload creative editing thumbnails logistics production when you can offload all that stuff and just focus on like your videos it's a whole different ball game and then when you can kind of peel that back and be like okay now this creator only focuses on videos now let's really think about what companies they're passionate about and how do we push into that space and then what kind of team do we need to build around those companies that should that should be like how managers are thinking and this definitely isn't how a traditional manager or agent worked over the last like 50 years it was like yeah. sign the movie deal they go film a movie for three months I don't know what I do, but like, I'm just going to go sign another client, hopefully get him another movie. That's not yeah. where we're headed. Like if, if, if we truly believe that individual creators are the next brands, then all our time should be going into like building these creators up as big as we think they can be. And then building sustainable businesses that they're passionate about. That's, that's where like new age managers focus should be. Uh thousand percent agree uh and you know this is something you and i talk about i mean quite literally every day i, I i'm curious like because i'm sure there are people that are watching this that are you know aspire to be signed by night media or, or you know work for night media as a manager like what type of talent are you looking for you know like are you ta like are you always looking for for new talent or like you touched a little bit on uh talent that you know has ambitions to run it like a business and be bigger but like how do you think about the talent that you're identifying? Yeah, like I, we we have like uh, five pillars internally that we talk about a lot. I'm not going to share what those pillars are, um, but it's like, what is a night media creator is basically the question we've always asked. And then there's five pillars associated with like what we think that person is. Now, each manager, now that we have four managers internally, have kind of developed their own style of people that they like to work with and creators that they see value in. Um, so it, it does change a little bit manager to manager, but those five core principles always stay the same. And so me personally, I don't know if I'll ever sign someone else. Uh, who knows? It's just a lot of my time is, is focused on running, you know, night media and, and the clients that I personally manage. Um, but just for some of the other clients within night media, like we're really focused on new niches that aren't specifically the biggest on YouTube yet. I think food is interesting. 
I think what Graham Stephan is doing in business is something that will continue to grow. I think um, arts and crafts, like we represent the two biggest arts and crafts channels, ZHC on the male side and Mariah Elizabeth on the female side. Uh, I think there's like this, this like whole like travel home improvement area is really interesting to us. And the one thing that has st stuck out to me is I've been in like the depths of, of YouTube the past like few months is there's a lot of channels like from my neck of the woods that are starting to become really popular. Like <laughs> the North Dakota, South Dakota, Kansas, Nebraska, like farming videos or like kind of wow. like redneck style, like pickup trucks and like going <laughs> mud and like some of these channels are getting massive, like millions of subscribers, averaging millions of views of video. Uh, I just, that's like the one thing I love about YouTube is like it continually just grows and every year there's like a new batch of creators and so we stay on top of all this stuff uh, but we're never going to be that like management company that has hundreds of creators that's just not us yeah yeah and i figured as much and, and and i guess like maybe just to wrap it up like do you have any advice for people that want to get into management one day or like uh you know i imagine there's quite a few people that are watching this that aspire to you know work for night media one day or become a, a manager in, in the creator space like what advice do you have for them I look at passion. So I interview a lot of people. Uh, I actually don't care if you went to college, don't care what your college degree is. I don't even, that's why I asked earlier, like, do people still have resumes? I don't look at resumes at all. I care about the person. I care about the passion of the person. Like, do they actually love YouTube? Do they, are they thinking about like, what's the next social medium? Do they watch TikTok? Like those are the things I care about. I think if I was starting over and I was trying to be a manager, there's so many creators out there that need help. I think, you know, watching this podcast, like read, like reading other articles on, you know, the creator economy, just educating yourself and then attaching yourself to a creator that you truly believe in that maybe has a hundred thousand subscribers and they, they need help. I'm telling there's so many creators that need help, uh, that could utilize a really talented manager that truly cares about them and will grow with them. That to me is how I would how I would grow this. I would attach myself like I did to, to a creator that had less than a million subscribers and I would grow with them. It's going to take time like all things do, but you're going to be happy that like you developed these relationships and figured it out along the way by yourself um, instead of like trying to go to the top where I think most people are like, oh, I, I want to represent James Charles. And it's like, yep. great, um, <laughs> but not realistic. Right. It was like me as a sports agent. I was like. Of course I want to sign Jameis Winston. Of course I want to sign this person. Wasn't realistic uh, yep. because the the big dogs at the top, you know, like Tom Congdon and, you know, Lee Steinberg, like I said, and Drew Rosenhaus, like they're going to sign the best players every year. Some agent might slip in and sign a big client in the NFL draft. Um, but there's a lot of other, look, just to go back to YouTube, there's a lot of YouTubers and Twitch streamers and TikTokers that are going to have amazing careers over the next five years. You just need to find those people that you believe in that you get along with and just start working with them. Yeah. I, I, I think that's great advice. I think, I think just in general, like proving that you are able to find and identify good talent and help them develop, you know, overall is always valuable. Like it's the most valuable skill set that you can have in this industry. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, the more that you can showcase that or prove it, uh, rather than just telling someone that you can do that is it's just going to pay huge dividends throughout their entire career. So, so, so what, yeah. I th what I thought was really interesting when I met you is you said that you were educating yourself on the management industry and it wasn't just digital. You were educating yourself on music, sports, like what, what were your takeaways as you looked at like these different management industries? Oh, I mean, overall, I, I viewed it as like, okay, my, my view is that managers have the closest relationship with the talent and the clients that they work with, which you know, should make sense. Like it, that, that's fairly obvious, but like, if that is true, which I think it is true, then managers are great people to get to know like from a venture and investor side because those are the people that will hopefully help you you know help with brand deals for your portfolio companies maybe invest in your portfolio companies you know just from that side i was just thinking about it, like i should just get to know more people because i think if they they have access or they're the gatekeepers in some ways to the biggest talent in the world then like i should get to know managers the thing that sort of blew my mind was was how many managers i met were so short-sighted or so focused on like i just only care about this brand deal from you know fortune 500 company like i don't really care about venture investments or thinking about building businesses for the creators or anything like that and so i like you know 
I, I probably talked to a hundred managers, you know, over the like the two years like exploration that I did. But like of those, I probably only talked to five or six still, you know, and then you know maybe two or three of those I talked to like regularly, which you're one of those. And so uh, I and and I think I I talked to you pretty early on in that that process of like getting to know people within the management space, and so. Like I, I sort of had the bar pretty high of like, okay, this is someone who's very aligned in how I think about this world. And uh, that that's like really my major takeaway is like you were just thinking about it. And like you and I were on the exact same page as far as like, if I was to ever be in the management world, it would be, it would look a lot similar, like a lot more similar to Night Media than, you know, some other place that I'm talking to. Yeah. Well, come on over, man. We'd love to have you. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, nope. I, I'm good. I'm, I'm excited with where I'm at right now, but you know, may, maybe one day we'll, we'll, we'll find a way to work together. <laughs> and that, that's a good, that's a good caveat. Well, I, one of our next episodes need to be about Blake and how you got into venture and because there, there's a lot of interesting stories in there that, that him and I have talked about offline, not on this podcast that I'd love for him to tell. Yeah, no, and, and, and I think, you know, in general, just to wrap all this up, like I, I, I think this was interesting for me because I learned a lot of new stuff. Like, and I've known you for, you know, two or three years now at this point. And I think uh, in general, I, I hope everyone just enjoyed this and got to know Reed better because uh, he's insanely successful in, in his world of, of management. But there are so many like hidden gems and golden nuggets within all of this. And, and I really do look up to Reed as like a manager and as a person and as a CEO. And so it's been amazing to watch his journey so far. Well, thanks, man. Uh, that's very nice of you. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's been a fun position to be in. I I, I learned pretty early on that the, being a being a top talent manager is all about access. I get access to cool people like you. Um, I get access to amazing people that I work with on a daily basis. Uh, I get access to like you said, venture deals and angel investments and. A lot of this is about access, and you understood that. You're like, if these managers represent the top talent, then they have most of this access. They're not only the gatekeeper, um, but most of the talent is like pushing these conversations to them. Exactly. Thus, like they're the ones in the know, not necessarily the talent. Yeah. No, and, and, and I think you've done an incredible job so far. And, and yeah, I, I mean, it's one of the major reasons why I even wanted to do this podcast, you know, like is, is I think you and I have a ton of these really interesting conversations and I'm excited that they're you know coming to light and, and people are able to, to get to listen to them because yeah. I think these are all really interesting. Yeah. And I'm excited to have have the conversation about venture, too, because I think a lot of people are going to learn a lot about the different sides of investing in startups and how you identify startups. Like I've, I've always thought it's really interesting how you guys, you know, meet with so many companies, but only invest in a few and like what separates those few companies that you guys actually invest in. Um, so yeah, we're going to have to film this episode pretty quickly. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to, to film it. And yeah, I, I mean, thanks for, for watching this, everyone. And don't forget to like, subscribe, you know, that, that whole world. Uh, but really, we, we appreciate you watching on a serious note. And, and we're excited to be back. Yeah, and hit that like button. Appreciate you guys. <laughs> See you next episode.